Welcome to Film Grain, the official podcast of the Film Society of Northwestern Pennsylvania and the Greater Erie Film Office. My name is Stuart Nash. I'm a filmmaker and the director of the Greater Erie Film Office. And I'm Jesse Olszewski, a filmmaker and a production coordinator at Grant Larson Productions. This week, we are going to be talking about our Film Grain Dinner and a Movie series, which features Boye Raced, starring Nicole Kidman, Russell Crowe, and Lucas Hedges, which is an especially relevant movie for Pride Month. And we are also joined by guest filmmaker Matt Croyle, who will give us his insight into independent filmmaking, and we'll do a little roundtable about today's film festival landscape and challenges of starting a film festival, which Matt has firsthand insight on. Film Grain Dinner and a Movie is our Wednesday night film series. Film Grain is open to the public and takes place in downtown Erie at the Bourbon Barrel at 1213 State Street, Erie, Pennsylvania. We have our big 16-foot screen with a great buffet and vegetarian options available, gluten-free on request, and there's also couch and table service all night long. I highly recommend reserving your table seats for $12 and couch seats for $15 through the Film Society at nwpa.org. Just click on Events. This Wednesday, June 17th, we're showing Boya Ray, sponsored by the Greater Erie Alliance for Equality. Dinners at 6 p.m., movies at 7 p.m. Again, table seating $12, couch seating $15. Price includes dinner. You can also purchase your summer pass for the June and August events, and you'll find that at Brown Paper Tickets and our website, filmsocietynwpa.org. So, Jesse, what else can you tell me about this movie? So, Boy Erased came out in 2018, and it is an American biographical drama film based on Garrett Conley's 2016 memoir of the same name. It was adapted for the screen and directed by Joel Egerton, who produced with Carrie Kohansky-Roberts and Steve Golan. The film stars Lucas Hedges, Nicole Kidman, Russell Crowe, and Egerton. The main character, Jared Emons, the son of a small-town Baptist pastor, must overcome the fallout after being outed as gay to his parents. His father and mother struggle to reconcile their love for their son with their beliefs. And fearing a loss of family, friends, and community, Jared is pressured into attending a conversion therapy program. While there, Jared comes into conflict with its leader and begins his journey to finding his own voice and accepting his true self. Okay, so today we're joined by filmmaker Matt Croyle. Matt, welcome to Film Grain. Hi, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's great to meet you. Could you give us a quick overview for those out there who are not aware of who you are or what you do? I'm the festival director for the Oil Valley Film Festival, also a filmmaker myself. Um, and so, yeah, that's, I mean, that's kind of about it. It's really nice to, uh, to come up here and hang out with you guys and talk shop and, and do whatever. I know that... Uh, you guys have a lot of things going on in Erie, which is extremely important as well. But hi, I'm me. Great. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about uh, where you grow up and how you got into film and that type of thing? Yeah, it's it's really interesting because, um, well, I'm from Oil City, which is uh, Venango County, uh, Pennsylvania. And uh, we're about an hour south of where we're actually recording this right now. Uh, so we're about halfway in between Erie and Pittsburgh. 
Uh, I was born in Franklin, raised in Oil City. And uh, I really, as far as film goes, I've always been a huge fan of movies. Um, my earliest, I guess, uh, memories of, of movies is going to the theater with my father, the cinema with my father when I was a kid, and watching stuff like Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, E.T., uh, Return of the Jedi. So those were the movies that really sparked my interest in in movie magic and making films and stuff like that, seeing how that was put together. But it was never really a thing for me. Uh, I grew up on stage acting, you know, in high school and in college and, and stuff like that. And I really didn't get into writing much until I was in college. And, uh, but I think it was in, in that time frame that the collaboration of theater really kind of sparked my interest in, in how can I, how can I do this and, and put it on camera because film to me has always been that that medium that stays uh, you can do something on stage and it's a once in a lifetime thing it happens there in that moment and then it's done and it's gone and it's like that every night when you're on stage or when you're watching a performance it's a temporary thing everybody's involved in it the audience is involved in it and then it's gone but with with film there's something lasting because as long as you can maintain, uh, you know, whatever uh, medium that you've used, whether it be digital or whether it be film stock itself, or it, it, it lasts forever, which is great. And I think that that's, that's something I think as artists people want uh, to be able to do, is they want their stuff to last. What's your first memory of being on stage? My first memory of being on stage, I think I was a, I think I was a junior in high school, if I'm correct. Actually, no, I take that back. That was my first, like, real experience uh of being in like a a set play but my first experience of being on stage i think i was in like second grade and i was a flower it was uh yeah it was uh i was in catholic school at the time and and uh at saint stephen's it was like just this end of the year kind of musical review kind of thing and i was a i was a flower in a garbage bag what you like a green uh, a green garbage bag with like a like a plastic thing with paper petals around my head did your mom make it for you i think so yeah <laughs> i'm pretty sure uh what about high school what year did you graduate in what school uh 1995 so that makes me old and uh <laughs> i went to oil city okay yeah. yeah okay yeah i have a similar background in theater so i can really relate to well i enjoy both i enjoy the live theater and being in the moment and having that audience reaction. But I also really love the filmmaking side where because it's not live, I feel like you can prepare and focus more and really capture what it is you're trying to tell your audience. So I, I can relate to trying to merge the two because I used a lot of my theater knowledge when I got into filmmaking. So when you write something or like if you were to write a script, do you have the intention that you want to go all the way and produce it to the screen? Um, I want to add something real quick to what you were just saying um, about the, the difference there between theater and film uh, is the fact that some things you can do on stage that you can't do with a camera. And then there's a lot of things you can do with a camera that you can't do on film. So I think they kind of complement each other in a way that people really don't think about very often. As a writer, I just write. Um, whether or not it ends up being something that people see, I, I still, I have to write. I think for me, that's, that's who I am um, before anything, before I'm a director, before I'm an actor, before I'm 
a you know sound guy or whatever like writing is writing i have to write like that's that's my outlet that's important to me to do and yeah whether or not it's in a notebook or 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 whatever but that's just there's no real there's no real end game with it for me it's more of an outlet nice little uh, avengers tie in there say what i couldn't ah! <laughs> horrible movie <laughs> I we'll can't believe this we'll get back to that later, perhaps at the end. So tell us about some of your past projects. Oh goodness! Well, yeah, when did you when did you get like seeing more of the professional mode? Because I saw your list of credits and like uh, you were an extra on some. Yeah, I, you know, and that that was kind of a really cool thing for me. It was the first film that I, film set that I was ever on was for Juana Man. I don't know if you guys remember that movie with Miguel Nunez Jr. and Vivica Fox where he's the NBA player, like the bad boy Dennis Rodman type NBA player who 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 gets um he gets ejected out of the league and can't play so he cross dresses as a woman to play in like the women's professional basketball league. Yeah, that was the first like movie set that I was ever really on. We shot in Charlotte cuz I was living in Charlotte at the time. Charlotte Coliseum. I spent a couple of days doing that. And that was kind of like the first real real look at how flicks were made for me. Uh, and I was just out of college. And I was like, this is really fun. Like, this is even just being like in the background, like, this is really fun. So I had moved back from Charlotte. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, doing my thing for a couple of years or whatever. And then I remember thinking to myself, like, oh, yeah, there, isn't there like a casting place in Pittsburgh? So I looked, and I was like, it's Nancy Mosser casting, so I'm going to plug them right now. Yeah, uh, my friend, place. My friend Katie actually is one of the casting directors there who, at the time, you know, we didn't really know each other. But I ended up just registering online for this, and literally 10 or 15 minutes later, I get a phone call. After I registered online with their database, I get a phone call that says, hey, do you want to play one of Ryan Reynolds' friends in a movie? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like, it doesn't, that never happens. Like, so I was just like, Sure. So that ended up being Adventureland. So I ended up going down and working a day on Adventureland, and, and we got to hang out. And, and that was shot at Kennywood, right? That was shot at Kennywood. We actually shot in oh, this, this little bar, I think it was in Moon Township. And uh, we were in the scene. Our scene ultimately got cut, uh, but you can still see us in the movie. But um, it was pretty interesting because it was during the scene was it, where, they, <laughs> where they had the Foreigner cover band in the bar really briefly yeah I, you'll have to go back and rewatch it but it's it's absolutely hilarious but that you know that was really cool too and so like little things like that and i met katie and you know you go on set like that as as a as a background actor or something and so there's it's pretty much all downtime you're waiting you're just waiting to go on set and maybe you're the, maybe you know you're filming for five minutes and then you're back off again or whatever but we ended up going to our call was like early in the morning and we ended up not going to set until like 1230 that night or one in the morning. So we'd like sat around all day and hung out. So that's how I met Katie because we sat around, played like board games and stuff. And who's Katie? I'm sorry. Katie Chanel. And uh, I remember becoming kind of friends with her on Facebook and stuff. And, and then I found out that they were having the they were having Zach and Mary make a porno shoot in Pittsburgh. And I didn't realize they were sh they, that Kate, that Nancy Mosser and those guys had gotten that. Uh, contract for for background and I just I hit Katie up and I was like look if you guys get this movie I said I just want to be on set just for a day because like I love Kevin Kevin's one of my kind of 
indie folk heroes that I kind of look up to. Clerks. Um, all the way. All the way, yes, right. of course. And so she's like, we already got it. She's like, I'll call you when, when we need you. And I said, that's great. So yeah, like little things like that. So just being on set and being around and watching people work was kind of instrumental and really important for me. Get you the bug. Well, yeah, yeah, most definitely. Ultimately, when I, when I lived in Charlotte back in the day, I'd actually begun writing a script. But it was only about a third of the way done. You know, life happens, things change, come back home, and I ended up pulling it off the shelf, and in about a month, I had a, a first draft completely finished, 90-some pages, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm eventually going to shoot this, and then, of course, life happens more and more and more, and then uh, that gets put off, and, and uh, so however many years down the road, ultimately, we... It got to a point, or I got to a point in my life where I said, look, if I don't shoot this now, I think it was, a, I think it was 36. So if I don't shoot this now, I'm never going to shoot it. Like, it'll just never happen. I think I'd gone through a breakup, you know, and you're like, just like, oh, man, I got to get back to me, that kind of thing. And my parents were, uh, God rest their souls, uh, who are no longer with us, uh, but they were around at the time. And they said, look, if you want to do this, do it. They're like, well, we'll, we got your back on this. If you, you know, need help with whatever while you're doing it, we'll help you out. Just go and do it. And I was like, that's, that's awesome. Because a lot of times you don't have people that'll, you know, say say that kind of thing. Family support that you need to pull projects together. And so I was like, this is great. Um, and it took us two and a half years uh, to make my first feature. And Um, what was the title of this? Potential Inertia. Okay. Uh, it took us two and a half years to do it. And, um, we had actors come from all over the Great Lakes region, um, Jamestown, New York, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Newcastle, um, Erie. And uh, it's a testament to who you surround yourself with, the people that you surround yourself with, for, for, for people that believe in what you're doing and the story that you're trying to tell, for them to stick with you for two and a half years. We were able to raise $10,000 from about 12 different countries of people. Of backers and I didn't go the normal route of crowdfunding I took the crowdfunding model you know if you look at a, a Kickstarter page or an Indiegogo page and how it's laid out and with the perks and all that stuff and I kind of took that model and just did a website for the film itself and I left funding open so we didn't get all of the money at one time but as we were shooting and we were putting things out and showing people that we were actually getting stuff done. And over the course of two and a half years, we were able to raise a total of $10,000 to get the movie finished. And which... what is Potential Inertia about? Oh, Give us the that's, that's such like, a hard question this, to answer. Is this a biographical piece? You know, honestly, I think there's part of me in every character that I write, first off. Um, and, and, and if those characters... Uh, conflict on screen, it's probably part of me conflicting with another part of me uh, as, as a writer or as a person. Um, it's a, the nutshell, the nutshell breaking it down pitch that I give everybody, I guess, would be um, it's about loss. It's about this guy who's uh, graduating college, going out into the, quote, uh, real world, which is a hard enough place as it is. Uh, and he experiences loss in his life like he's never experienced before. And so he doesn't really know how to um, how to process that. And the film itself is about whether or not um, 
you let the people around you kind of help you through that or help get you through that because we can't all go at it alone. It's impossible. Or whether or not, you know, you let that kind of thing get the best of you. And where can anybody view this now? Is it on Amazon? Or? It's on Pivot Share. Pivot Share. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, you can look up, uh, if you, you just Google potential inertia film okay. or even just potential inertia, uh, the link will show up. It's on Pivot Share. Okay. And it's a uh, video on demand. You can buy it or rent it. I don't know exactly what the prices are right now. Because right. We'll put it all in our notes. And okay. Yeah, that's yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Excellent. Uh, well, moving on, though. Uh, <clears throat> Which project you're working on now? Oh goodness, what's what's irons in the fire? To well, crawl I just got back uh, from Los Angeles uh, last month. Was it last month? A month before? I don't know. Time flies right now because I'm so busy with regular work and with writing and everything else. So, anyway, I just went out to LA. I believe it was at the end of March, beginning of April, and. I've had, we've actually, we, we shot footage on this and that we can't use, which is a really strange thing because it's, it's, a, it's, it's an hour-long television pilot called Circle Michigan. I have three episodes of this series written, and I have a series Bible, so I know how it ends. Uh, dramatic pilot, and I had started writing it before we even released my feature, my first feature. What's really weird about what's wow, what's really weird about this is is uh, we started production the following summer. We released Potential Inertia in uh, the day after Christmas of 2014, and then we started production on Circle the summer after, so summer of 2015. So we got a bunch of stuff shot for it. Uh, and then we ran out of money. We raised, we raised about 2500 bucks, and uh, ran out of money. And, you know, life once again gets in the way. So actors, have, actors can't fulfill their roles. they got to go do other things. And it's like, well, it gets put on the back burner again, like a lot of things do. Uh, but there is footage. So I know, I, I know someday, that, you know, if, once we get it done, like that stuff will be like DVD extras or something. Um, the, origi- the original footage. Um, but Circle... Um, is probably, I think, to me, the most mature thing I've ever written. Uh, the way that I pitch it to people is Breaking Bad meets Northern Exposure. And a lot of people will probably go, what the heck is Northern Exposure? <laughs> right. <laughs> but I do know what that is. <laughs> right, which is very cool. <laughs> and so anyway, uh, I had taken the script um, this past, I believe, December, November or December, and submitted it to um, the Hollywood Casting and Films uh, first screenwriting competition that they have, and they had different categories. And we got selected as a top three finalist uh, in the hour-long um, television pilot competition. So with that, we were able to, uh, we were invited to go to their casting facility out in, and studio facility out in, in Hollywood, and perform a three to five minute scene from the script in front of television executives live wow. which was like that's cool man i'll totally do that so i got a couple uh actors from la one one was a friend of mine that i had known uh from the last time i was out there in, in 2012 which was like seven years ago an amazing actress uh, named ali wood gerard uh, marzilla marzilli is the uh is the actor i'll plug him they met up and rehearsed i guess beforehand before i got out there for this so i came i flew out on a tuesday it was on a saturday Met up with both of them, rehearsed for, for an evening, and really kind of pounded out the scenes, and, and then went and did the thing on, on Saturday, which was a really weird thing, because a lot of times when you're, you're 
writing for screen, you expect the whole presentation to be done in front of a camera. You know what I mean? You you know, and the performance is supposed to be performed in front of a camera. And luckily, they were both theatrically trained actors, so they were able to make that kind of transition to actually do it live in front of, like, an audience of studio execs, which was strange. But they killed it, and they did a good job. And the, the goal of it is to get it to get it funded. Um, and I don't, right now, I'm kind of at a standstill with that. Um, aside from crowdfunding, I don't really know how to do that at this point anymore. That's probably the hardest thing you're going to do. It is the hardest thing to do. Right, you know? right. It's like getting everybody there at the same exact time. Right, and that's what was hard about them. the feature, right. about doing the feature, because I had all my actors coming from from Erie, Pittsburgh, and they were driving in on their own dime because they have their own lives, their own families, their sure. own jobs. And so if I caught, you know, if, if I called for Paul one day and Brooke, say, I Brooke the same day, the names that were on the Paul list Shermerhorn yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and Brooke Bartolomeo, like, and, and Paul's coming from Jamestown and Brooke's coming from Pittsburgh, and like, what days are they working? Their regular job. Sure. Like, so, yeah, that, and that's another reason, I think, logistically, why it took so long. Um, was just trying to get them all there at the same time. But anyway, Circle, yeah, that's where we're at with that. Um, so if anybody wants to read the pilot, it's it's available on my personal website. You can just go and read it for free, which is pretty cool. So before we transition, uh, if you could just throw in maybe one little piece of advice you could give to aspiring filmmakers. The thing that usually gets me in trouble <laughs> saying is – is that you don't need anybody's permission um, to go do something, to go make something, to go create something. Uh, a lot of times I think we're always asking permission to do things. We want other people to be like, it's okay to go do that. Uh, and that's not just, you know, with, with, uh, with art. That's with anything. And art being so, so self-expressive, I think it's important that we take it upon ourselves to give ourselves permission to go do it. If you want to go make a movie... Like, literally go to Best Buy, buy a camera and some sound equipment, and get your friends together and write a 10-page script and just go shoot it. Just go make it. You hear that, everyone? Just do it. <laughs> just go out there and do it. All right, great. That was, uh, that, that was really insightful, and thank you for telling us about your projects. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Oil Valley Film Festival and how that came about. Well, the thing with the Oil Valley Film Festival, to me, it's kind of my baby because I always, I always love showing people movies. Like I'm the person that if if I've seen a film and I sit down with you and you haven't seen it, I'm watching you way more than I'm watching the movie because I want to see how you're reacting to it. It's so like, it always excites me how people react um, to storytelling in, in its many forms. And that gets me excited. And I always, I've always enjoyed doing that. Uh, and so for me, with the film festival, I wanted to be able to bring a variety of voices uh, to a region of Pennsylvania that feels like it's always lacked the variety of voices that it needs. Um, we have films uh, submitted to our festival. We're in our fourth year now from all over the world. And we've screened films from all over the world. And the thing that I really enjoy the most about it 
is people are people are able to see what life is like, what people want, what people crave, um, the, the needs that people have. Uh, those needs are very similar to their own. And whether it's somebody from um, Indonesia or Spain or even Russia or Iran, like for people to see those stories, they can see themselves in them. And I think that's important to be able to bring that kind of a thing um, to people that don't really see the diversity or the similarities in what they perceive as diversity uh, to, you know, to our region. I think that's, that's very important. Um, but we're in our fourth year and it grows every year. It's grown every year. It's free. Uh, it's something that I don't want to charge people for. I want people to have the option to just go and watch films that they normally wouldn't see in their multiplex, their you know, neighborhood multiplex. I think that's a, that's a, a very important thing to do. Uh, what kind of crowd would you say you draw out? Well, it depends. It's hit and miss. You're in a small town. Um, you know, some years we've had upwards of a thousand people over three days. And, and, you know, I know the first year, uh, the first year was tiny. There was probably maybe 30 people that showed up over, over the three day period. But like I said, as the film, more films, uh, come in every year, uh, more people are getting to see it. Uh, ultimately, uh, Ultimately, the goal with it would be, I set a goal for myself, I guess, um, within the first five years. And I don't know if we're going to hit it within the first five years, but maybe maybe a few years late. But I would love for it to become an, a, a, an Oscar qualifying film festival for short films. I think that would bring a lot to the region. Uh, it would bring a lot of attention to the region. It would bring a lot of attention uh, to filmmakers. As far as submitting goes, uh, I've been in touch with the Academy. They've sent me information about it, so it's not like it's it's unquestionable, or it's not like it's, uh, I guess, a, a huge hurdle or, or impossible. Um, so we'll see where that goes. We'll see what happens with that. What are your biggest challenges of having a film festival right now? Because I mean, personally, my take on like the landscape of film festivals and and some of my takes is it's you really have to examine every festival because is it a competition are awards provided is it just somebody taking money and saying this is a film festival you right. can watch it now on you you know on my right online thing and i call that youtube you know right and there's a lot of that that goes around there what is. i call like fleecing kind of right and i always like to see festivals have a little bit of a kickback coming back to the filmmakers and i did notice that on yours Yes. Uh, uh, so what do you see? Like the landscape, the challenges? Are there too many festivals right now? You know, that's, a, that's a, actually it's a really good question because it does seem kind of oversaturated in a sense, uh, especially, especially when, you're, when you're looking at places like Film Freeway, who I love because we've used them uh, since the beginning of our film festival. So this is the fourth year we've used them as far as uh, the submission process and everything goes. Yeah, our, f our film festival, uh, we are lucky enough to have a donor that puts up $1,000 for the uh, audience favorite feature film every year. And without that, um, without that support, um, who knows, you know, where we would be at the, even at this point. But we do have specific category prizes and things like that. Um, there's no money involved in that kind of stuff. But we, what, the one thing that we've done 
is we've reached out to sponsors. So we have sponsors like Ink Tip, and we've had like um, Movie Maker Magazine in the past, and, and stuff like that. And I think I think utilizing sponsorships because they will provide winning filmmakers with prizes too through us, which is a really nice thing to do. Um, but right now the film festival uh, scene is, I mean, there's a lot. There's a there's a lot, but I think I think you're able to to see what is legit and what isn't if you really look. There does have to be, I think, as a as a festival director, you do have to have some kind of transparency uh, with your festival. And and if you look at something and if it seems shady, it probably is. It's like I mean, that's like anything else. But yeah, there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of things to to sift through there's a lot of noise it's kind of like the information age man we we get online and you have all of this information coming at you at one time and you kind of have to sift through what's legitimate and what is and i think it's just a skill uh with the way that technology is today that we've we've somehow learned to kind of adapt to in a sense uh how many submissions do you get right now for for this year, we have over 200 from 18 different countries. Uh, and our regular deadline is coming up next month, I think. And then we have an extended deadline after that. Can you it, watch them all? Yes. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> Luckily, I have, I have uh, three other people who help me curate as well uh so i'll i'll hand off like short films to somebody i'll hand off features to somebody um and and you know it's obviously split up in like documentaries and narratives and and uh, they kind of sift through the first wave of it so i'll get i'll get a curated uh secondary uh, i guess round of of things and that's where i take over and kind of go through you have to do that though. you have to yeah because well i mean the film office started a competition and we kind of wanted to stay away from film festival and make it more competition right because film festival you know anybody can submit mm -hmm. and when i mean anybody you know everybody from i just went out and shot this this past weekend right. to really you know well-made productions right and getting through all that gobbledygook can be painstaking well, that's the thing. I, I I totally agree because you can get, you can you get some really amazingly produced films that you are just like, oh my god, where did this come from? Because this is not on the radar, and it is just absolutely brilliant. To like, wow, somebody must have shot this in their garage while they were drunk. Gobbledygook. <laughs> gobbledygook. That's a technical one. Gobbledygook. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I guess we can end on a question. So. Mm. It sounds like you started your film festival for the right reasons and there's a lot of value in it. So someone who wants to just stay home and watch Netflix and thinks they can get good content by looking through the Netflix choices or the Hulu choices, how can you pitch the value of a film festival to someone that would actually have to put clothes on and leave the house? Well, I think what you get from a film festival, if it's done right, is once again, the curation process is extremely important. If you have people that are running a festival that understand movies, they understand what's good about movies, obviously are all artists subjective, uh, but if they understand what's good about movies, uh, they can provide you with stuff that's quality. If you're sitting there and 
on your couch just scrolling through Netflix or Hulu and stuff like that. I mean, at this point, you can pay a company to put your thing, your project on Netflix. They will find a way to get it on there. If you're paying $2,500, they'll find a way to put it on Netflix. Um, and so you're really getting the curation. You're, you're getting the understanding of somebody who knows film when you're going and watching films at a film festival. Okay, I want to do a little section that we usually don't get to. <laughs> and that is, what have you watched this past week? Stu, what have you watched? Well, let's not get into that quite yet. Let's ask our guests first. <laughs> okay. What have I watched this past week? Um, honestly, there's a film that I'm really excited about because I've paid out of pocket to bring it to the film festival uh, this September. And it's called Starfish, uh, directed by a uh, first-time feature director, A.T. White, uh, starring Virginia Gardner, who was just in uh, the... New Halloween movie, the remake of the Halloween. She was the she was the the, the friend that got killed by Michael Myers. Um, Virginia Gardner is such a talent to watch, and this role was pretty much made for her. And as far as a film goes, I this is a very bold statement from me because I watch a lot of movies, but it's probably one of my favorite films I've ever seen in my life. Uh, so if you guys get a chance to check out Starfish, it is available right now, video on demand, online, uh, on some, uh, you can actually get it on uh, some uh, pay-per-view cable channels as well, uh, probably through uh, whoever your cable provider is. And uh, we are bringing it to the Oil Valley Film Festival. So talk to me about the Oil Valley Film Festival, what the dates are coming up for submissions, when the actual festival is. like. Well, I believe uh, our, our regular submissions... Uh, ends uh, at the beginning of next month. We run September 6th through 8th this year. It's a three-day festival. It's a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Usually what happens the way that I have it set up is uh, the short films are day one at the Oil City Library. Uh, we usually do our short program that day. Day two consists of the feature films and a block that is the women and minority filmmakers. And then day three is usually my curated block of films that I've reached out to filmmakers to bring in. For example, Starfish. We are bringing in a Mackenzie Davis flick called Izzy Gets the F Across Town. I don't know if you guys have seen that yet, but it has a, has a pretty amazing cast. Haley Joel Osment is in it. It's a pretty, pretty fun film. Another uh, first-time feature filmmaker uh, who is an online friend of mine as well. Uh, so... If you guys want to come to the Oil Valley Film Festival and watch Mackenzie Davis and that, then you can watch her in the new Terminator movie when it comes out, which is pretty cool. And then uh, I think what we're going to do uh, that Sunday is we might have some live music playing for the first time at the film festival as well that Sunday night. Because usually what I'll do is have kind of like a, a BYOB get together uh, after everything's done and we'll... Uh, you know, announce the awards and have some drinks and listen to some tunes and kind of close the festival out like that. And where can people get more info on the, the festival? They can go to oilvalleyfilmfestival.weebly.com.
That's been our episode. Remember, you can buy tickets for Boy Erased at filmsocietynwpa.org or at the door. Doors open Wednesday at 5.30 p.m. We are then off for two weeks, returning July 8th with photojournalist Matham Bashaaga. Make sure you follow us on social media. You'll find all of our tags and links in the show notes for this episode. Until next time, this was Filmgrain. This podcast is produced by Edinburgh University's Center for Branding and Strategic Communication. It's part of the Northwest Pennsylvania Innovation Beehive Network.